This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Cleaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. to value listeners this is eric weaver and i wanted to tell you about the north star for value what is that exactly well it's making sure that not only do we have improvement in costs but we have improvement in outcomes for everyone we must eliminate disparities across race ethnicity and socioeconomic status the institute for advancing health value is bringing to you a virtual summit for leaders advancing health equity through value-based care. On November 30th, we're going to be screening the Color of Care documentary, which is uh, an important documentary that really shows the systemic issues we have in our society. And then on December 1st, we're going to have a full day of discussions that are really centered around how do we create health equity in our country This is Daniel Chipping, and we, the Institute, are so excited to bring this great event to you. We've got an incredible lineup of speakers, including Dr. Dora Hughes, the Chief Medical Officer of CMMI, Anish Chopra, the former U.S. Chief Technology Officer, and Dr. Olewila, the Chief Health Equity Officer at Humana. We're going to be covering topics that span everything that you need to know about health equity and value-based care, including gender-affirming care. AI, data solutions, and so much more. We we really hope to see you there. And Don't miss out on this important event, Population Health Equity, the North Star for Value, a free virtual summit with everything that you need to know to advance health equity in your organization. Go to the link in the summary of this week's episode to learn more and register for this upcoming event. Race to Value listeners, we have an amazing episode with this week. We have Sean Morris, the CEO of Privia Health. Privia Health is a technology-driven national physician enablement company that collaborates with medical groups, health plans, and health systems to optimize physician practice, improve patient experience, and reward doctors for delivering high-value care, both in in-person and virtual settings. I mean, they have a platform that is industry leading. They have exceptional physician leadership. They're scaling operations across the country, and they're getting outstanding outcomes in terms of reducing unnecessary health costs, achieving better outcomes for patients, and improving the health and well-being of their providers. I mean, they're noted as being one of the fastest growing independent medical groups in the U.S. Previa Health is managing currently with their client portfolio 
3.9 million total patients. They have 3,500 plus providers in 890 plus practice locations. Daniel, I just thought Sean Morris was just an outstanding podcast interview. He has such a business acumen when it comes to managed care and uh, value-based care transformation. I, I just learned so much from this conversation. Eric, I completely agree. This is a fantastic conversation. Sean's, as you say, business acumen, I think is probably uh, close to unparalleled. He's a seasoned industry leader. Uh, he was previously the president and chief operating officer of Cigna Health Spring. He was responsible for the financial and operational performance of Cigna's Medicare Advantage business, one of the largest private Medicare solutions that served over one and a half million Medicare customers and over eight billion in revenue. Uh, the conversation was just so enlightening. We just covered we covered things like their their governance model, a truly innovative and amazing platform, and a unique and important approach to provider satisfaction and supporting providers in remaining independent and truly inspiring to me. And uh, I think our listeners are going to really appreciate this one. And beyond the inspiration, it's the results. I mean, they have one of the top performing Medicare shared savings program ACOs in the country, longstanding success, not only in the MSSP, but getting into other value-based arrangements. You know, we could talk all day, but we need to hear from Sean. So uh, let's go ahead and now and hear from Sean Morris as he joins us this week in the Race to Value. And if you like this content and you want to hear more Definitely support our podcast. We'd love a five-star on Apple podcast or review, and definitely go to racetovalue.org to subscribe to our newsletter. Now let's hear from Sean as he joins us this week in the Race to Value. Sean, welcome to the Race to Value. It's great to have you on the show this week. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, Sean, as we start our conversation today, I'd like to begin with how Privia Health is positioning providers for success and value-based care. For our listeners out there, Privia Health is a technology-driven, nationally known physician enablement company that collaborates with medical groups, health plans, and health systems to optimize physician practice, improve patient experience, and reward doctors for high-value care. And the company was founded in 2007. Uh, Sean, you've been the CEO since 2018, leading the company to new heights and working with doctors across the country to accelerate the transition to value-based care. Uh, you know, during your leadership tenure, the company has expanded its healthcare provider partner base to over 3,500 providers, managing 3.9 million patients across eight states and the District of Columbia. The company completed its initial public offering on the NASDAQ early last year and was also recently named to Inc.'s best-led company list in 2021. So uh, it's incredible. And your company is built around this uh, physician experience and the tech-enabled support model enables your client physicians to spend more time focusing on care, enhancing patient experience, and the Privia platform was purpose-built to scale nationally and addresses a large and growing total addressable market of $1.9 with an ability to serve over a million providers in the U.S. And given the tremendous challenges that physicians are facing across the country and managing their practices, I'd love to get your perspective on how Privia Health positions its clients for success and value-based care. Can you describe the Privia Health mission and how the company is empowering physicians to reshape healthcare? And how is your physician partnership model enabling providers to run a more fulfilling, financially viable practice while maintaining their independence and focusing on the health of their patients? Yeah, that's a kind of a great intro. Appreciate it. 
the, um, you know, when you really kind of think back, uh, I mean, I've been doing this a long time in healthcare, um, you know, two and a half, three decades, and I've worked very closely with physicians of all types throughout the years and really just kind of how do you move them to a value-based care mindset and, you know, because it takes mindset first and then you have to bring the tools and the, the technology and the relationship and lining incentives and all those things that your audience is used to hearing about, you know, our goal really and truly, I mean, we're here to kind of transform healthcare by enabling, and you know, physicians and care centers and clinicians. And we want to build the, and we're on our goal to build the largest primary care centric ambulatory delivery system in the country. You know, as you mentioned, we're today, we're on our way to 4,000 providers, a little over 3,500 almost 4 million patients and you know, that's in, you know, kind of traditional fee for service. And we've got a, you know, almost 900,000 value-based arrangements, over 80 value-based arrangements. And those cover, you know, commercial, which is still in, in the U S the biggest, largest block of patients. And, and then you Medicaid, we have Medicaid value-based care. And then of course, like you know, most of our peer group and other groups around the country, um, you know, doing you know, what we can do in Medicare, in, in traditional Medicare, as well as Medicare Advantage. And, and um, we think, you know, today that is the, probably the biggest area that um, value-based care is, you know, kind of the creation and the, because of the premium and all the programs that are out there that the federal government has been really focused on the last 30 years. But the, um, you know, where I would kind of and say as physicians, as you, as we all know, healthcare is so much more complicated than it was, you know, I would even, you know, five years ago, especially 10, 20, 25, and it's getting more complicated every year. I mean, you take a practice and our average practice of these, you know, almost 4,000 or you know, working our way to 4,000 is the average practice is five commissions. And that's pretty, that's pretty normal in the U.S. I mean, we've, we, we have groups that's joined us as large as you know, 150 and 400 in the health system sense, but but the average practice that joins Privia is a group of, of five clinicians. So you know the you know they're they're trying to negotiate contracts with payers, trying to understand value based care and all the flavors that are out there of those 900,000 um, value based care lives that we help our physicians manage. I mean, those 80 something contracts. Now that's not, not, not every one of our nine groups have 80 contracts, but you can imagine they're gonna have some flavor of those, but understanding kind of what's fair to the provider, what's fair to the payer, trying to align those incentives, you know, doing rev cycle, running the foundational practice. And then at the end of the day, well, they got trained to see patients. So what, you know, we talk a lot about patient experience. You mentioned that we talk a lot about provider well-being, and we don't think you can, if you're not focused on the provider and their well-being and their, you know, that patient experience, we think it's really tough to kind of get to the high levels of value-based care. We think you've got to focus on practice fundamentals, get all that kind of behind you. And we think those are the basic building blocks. It's you know, doing rev cycle, doing all those administrative things, getting good contracts that are, like I said, fair. So when the payers do well, the provider should do well. So really aligning those incentives in a way that over time, the providers have more confidence. They'll take on additional risk when they're comfortable and, and we're comfortable and really and truly works. And when the payers are comfortable and we think over time that that is the 
you know, just being disciplined in that thought, having professionals that understand insurance risk, how to run a successful medical practice, and you know what what a customer experience should feel like in healthcare. And we really kind of focus on those. Obviously, there's a big technology component to all those. And at the end of the day, like I said, you know, the provider well-being is very important. And and every provider is a little bit different. Some are going to be a little more financially focused and some are going to be more quality of life. But what you find is that's a bell curve. And, you know, most people, you know, most providers, some, you know, that's in, you know, kind of what shapes their well-being. And we're pretty focused on that because that's what's led to our success over the years. Sean, I love that you started out with the, the focus on the most important things. And, and I could wholeheartedly agree that that provider experience is so paramount to delivering uh, true value-based care. And another thing I love about Privia Health is how it's reimagining the approach to managing physician organizations by optimizing their performance through a common platform. You mentioned that technology is a big piece of it and it caters to their unique needs. And, and Privia has five key elements to its platform. One, a focus on technology and population health. Two, a single TIN medical group and governance model in each geographic market. Number three, a management services organization in each local market. Fourth, the development of ACLs to capture VBC opportunities within the geographic market. And fifth, a high quality, low cost provider network for purchasers and payers. And I'd like to dive in to better understand your proprietary technology platform and how it's creating enablement for your physicians practicing value-based care. You know, in healthcare, we see that technology works against the provider and patients rather than for them. But the Privia technology solution is designed with the physician and patient input, and it enhances provider workflows in both fee-for-service and value-based care settings. And it increases the patient engagement across all stages of a visit, including their access, the pre-visit, at the point of care, whether that's in-person or virtual, and following the visit. And the platform's also purposefully built around the tenets of consumerism. It provides a digital front door for patients to easily find a provider online, schedule their appointment and receive reminders, all of which have been shown to improve patient retention and minimize the costly no-show. Can you please speak to the Privia technology platform and how it's creating enablement for physicians and value-based care by embedding insights directly into your EMR system for a unified workflow? And with most physician groups in the country struggling with an onslaught of disparate information coming from so many different sources, how is your platform leveraging APIs to enhance interoperability and connectivity? Appreciate you outlining that. The, um, I, I kind of, before I kind of dive into that, think about, you know, we talked about that complexity, talked about all the value-based arrangements and in, in our medical group. So when we establish a, 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 this medical group, I mean, you know, one of the things that led me to Privia was there, I was the, you know, the last few years in my previous role, I was seeing this sophistication of groups was lacking. And, and the ones that might have been sophisticated were getting purchased and, and merged into other organizations. And so what we, we kind of stepped back and it's like, well, you know, kind of what are we trying to build? I mean, there, there are IPAs out there and IPA-like organizations that maybe focus on one one aspect of value-based care and it might be just just medicare advantage or just a direct contract with mssb through with the federal government but there was there wasn't a lot of people you know saying hey i i want to be able to 
help you take care of every patient that walks through your door. Doctors like to practice one way. And and, and, and in my experience, I was, you know, for 15 years, ran one of the largest Medicare Advantage companies that really taught physicians and were a partner to physicians through the IPA model to accept risk. And what was interesting in that time frame, they would come to you not too far once they were, you know, in you know, being successful, however you want to define successful, and say, hey, Sean or you know, your organization, how can I do this? with all my other patients. We weren't built that way. Most organizations that just do Medicare Advantage obviously aren't doing commercial, aren't doing Medicaid, and most don't even do kind of the MSSP contract. So we, we wanted to be able to, to do that. And, that, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of get to the, I'm just setting the stage for this, your technology question. What that led us to is you, we, you know, to, we wanted a, to build these medical groups. They don't really exist out there. So, and that's bringing, you know, an anchor group together and then adding doctors all around that group to be a very relevant medical group in every state we're in. In some of our larger states, like Texas, we have three, three different taxes. So this is single tax ID, as you mentioned. This is a managed services organization that provides all those services that you spoke to, to this group. And then we also form a kind of a risk-bearing entity. And then it's all three of those entities are what really differentiates Privia within our peer group. Now, a big portion of that MSO is we bring the technology to the provider. So what that means in our medical group model, which is our core model, when a doctor, these doctors join Privia, they're on some form of an EMR. Everybody is on, at least most everybody's on, a, on an EMR and that's what they're on. But we all know EMRs are just really really built just to capture billing and, and bill and do maybe maybe do some rev cycle. So what we've done is we want to we run a cloud-based system. It does, you know, it's an, obviously an EMR, which is the commodity part of that. And it, it we do the rev cycle and we do, you know, kind of the front end and the back end of those, all the payer contracting, all the value-based contracting, the fee for service work all those things. So what we're trying to do is any patient that walks through the door or is seen virtually, we want the, we don't want the provider kind of think about clicking in and out of a bunch of different technologies. Because the other thing I've learned in my experience is physicians really, they, like when I, say, when I say they want to practice one way, and as you know, I was a payer for 15 years plus, you know, it, you know the, the thoughts of a, of, a of a physician, it's maybe, let's even be generous, 20% of a, of a payer, their panel is made up of that. They really don't, they're not going to go click in and out of some portal that the payer is asking them to do. They may, they may think they are, you may get a few providers to do it, but they really, that's not how medicine is practiced. What they want to do is have technology that drives workflow in the actual setting at the point of care. And what we saw, every provider joins Privia in the medical group model, we, we uh, replace all their EMR, all their technology built within that technology, it drives workflow. It's not just an EMR. Obviously the EMR is the commodity component of it. And then we've built over, either built, partnered or buy the single point solutions and we interface those within that technology. So, 
I mean, you can imagine how complicated that becomes. There's not a, a, a five-man group, a 150-man group, or a 400-person group is not going to have the staff and the, the wherewithal typically to integrate all these single-point solutions, which we all know there's many out there. There's thousands out there that do things, you know, from... Yeah, you know, they're just they're all all good by themselves, but they have to be integrated into the care delivery model. So, so they're in the same workflow, and we break it up kind of into four buckets. So, think accessing the physician. We think, regardless of of whatever you're trying to accomplish, access to your provider is one of the most critical things you can possibly have. We found that through COVID, the world did. We, you know, in this. You know, every value-based care model from clinic models to Medicare Advantage IPAs, whatever they are, access is one of the most critical. So you, you, you got to get in to see your provider. You got to get in frequently, the more chronically ill you are. You have to do things like, you know, diagnose and capture those, those codes to drive, you know, kind of some of the Medicare Advantage stuff. You have to really, at the end of the day, though, build a relationship with that patient, give them easy access in to when they they may have a perception they're having an issue or they're having a real issue, they get in to see the provider and that provider can get them to see the correct specialist in a very appropriate, efficient timeframe. So access, we break that down into, you know, things, just think of things like, how do I set up my appointment? Can I do it online? Do I get reminders? The bulk of people that don't see their provider, most of those no-shows are because they just forgot. I mean, so reminding, can I get, can I do chronic care or other things virtually? All that's built into our tech stack. We built ours now five years ago, way before COVID ever came around. So then, then it gets into during the visit, you know, can, can I see them virtually, as I mentioned? Can I see face-to-face? -face? What that's going to be like? How does the provider like to organize their day? Some doctors do a huddle ahead of time. Some doctors like their you know, a nurse practitioner staff to be see certain patients and the physicians see others. But so that during the appointment, what's going to go on? Are they going to, I'm sorry, pre-appointment. So is what's going to happen? How are they going to organize their day? What care gaps on certain patients need to be closed? Did somebody go to the ER? Did somebody have an event? All those things that organize the day. And then you get into seeing the patients and who should see them. You know, the levers that are very important in any healthcare, but especially important in value-based care contracts, you know, are you, are you closing those care gaps? Are you doing the quality things? Are you referring to the most efficient, high-quality specialist? Are you doing things like basic blocking and tackling your value-based care site of service? You know, doing, you know, using a, a um, GI physician that does their colonoscopies at a low cost setting and all those just basic things. I think that seems basic to us and folks that are on the call. But when a doctor, you know, when that can, their care team is seeing patients, traditionally none of that is organized. They've got to remember if it's a United Healthcare or a Cigna patient and what specialists they go to. All that is built into our tech stack. Referrals by payer, by provider is a great example. HCC referencing and suspect conditions and just all those things that are really that make healthcare complicated. You want it to, to remove some of that administrative burden to make that flow within the practice in an organized manner. The practice, the, the, then we move on to kind of what happens after the visit. So there's a lot of healthcare and a lot of needs of the patient that happen after. How do I speak with someone at the 
you know, at the office? How do I get education if I was recently diagnosed as diabetic? How, just what happens in my home if I need somebody? All those things is, is, is a whole nother section of that, but it's all driven, you know, the, our, you know, we have clinicians that work outside of the practice that work for Privia Health that are in touch with those patients. Those patients have access to them when they can't get into the, see the practice. And we're making sure that, you know, if they miss a visit, what happened? You know, can we get you in? Or, or if somebody's having an urgent, um, they, they, you know, they, they need to get to see somebody urgently, we make sure all those things happen. But it just, it provides the workflow and you're using technology to do that. And I think an example, and we'll end on this one on the technology side, but a great example or two would be one, just virtual healthcare. Do you really, if you're, and I think a, if you're a parent, and you're, you're on vacation and one of your children or, you know, you know get, something happens. And it's, 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 not ur, it's not urgent, but you really want, you want to see a physician. Would you rather see your physician or a group or a physician in the group? Or would you rather dial and talk to a physician that you don't know, that doesn't know your child, knows nothing about them? Now, you may you know, be fine, but it's like that visit gets lost. Whereas if you can see your physician or, or someone in the practice, all that information is captured. And then they can, you know, upon return from vacation, they can follow up and, and do that. That's, that is our take on virtual care. And we think it's a tool for our providers to use. The other one is using things that are kind of like robotic processing. There's a lot of administrative tasks, especially in value-based care arrangements with the federal government and otherwise, that really, it's, you know, it's closing gaps for things like flu shots, colonoscopy screening, I mean, colon screenings, all those type things. You can actually be, the patient can self-report when they get these things done outside the normal healthcare system. And it's great that patients are doing that, but as a provider, if you don't capture that, you're, it, it never occurred. It's not in the EMR. It's not been reported to the payer. It's, 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 it's sitting outside and some claim, maybe they've, paid $5 for a flu shot at Walgreens, but if you don't know that, you don't get credit for it. So we, the, a, a simple thing we do is we close a lot of those by using robotic processing to scan, you know, think about it as our database, our tech stack. You know, if you're lacking some of those things, it will actually, you know, contact that patient by text or by email, however their preference, how they've let us know. We get 85% of all that information when, when, a, when we, from a patient, when we enroll the practice. Um, and then in turn, you get that. It, it looks like it literally comes from the provider and you can self-report. Yes, I, you know what? I did get a flu shot. I got it at, at you know, Walmart, Walgreens, whatever. And I got it in, you know, in September of 22. And it's it, all that self-reported. It really, it goes right into the medical record. So then it's captured forever in your health record. And then it also automatically goes to whatever payer. So think CMS. So then that provider is getting credit for that. More importantly, that provider knows you've got those things and you're not, they're not asking you for them when you show up. And, but just think a simple thing like that. We do hundreds of thousands of these a year. Think of just the, that used to, when I was in the health plan business, I took millions of dollars to do that. And we, you know, we're doing that in a really efficient way, taking that administrative burden off the providers in a very consumer-centric way. Like, oh, you know what? I did get that. I didn't tell you. Now it's in my record. 
And now I'm not bothered when I go see my physician. And it's, and it's from a cost perspective in a very low cost to capture that information. So that's a couple of examples. And, you know, things like search engine optimization and to be able to, if there has been a negative, you know, kind of consumer healthcare, you know, the doctor's aware of those things. We get in front of it. We contact the, you know, the patient, what was it, what happened? So we're, I mean, it's, you know, think about reputation management. You're doing all those things that today's consumer expects should occur in healthcare, but we all know typically in most practices, most health systems, these things don't occur. Well, Sean, I appreciate the overview of the, the Privia Health platform. And there was a couple of times where I heard you use the word, you know, simple. And it reminded me of uh, a quote from Leonardo da Vinci that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And, you know, you're working with practices that have a multi-payer portfolio. They're, they're managing Medicaid lives, traditional Medicare, Medicare Advantage, commercial risk, fee-for-service, and for a lot of practices, it would seem too schizophrenic and, you know, they would try to treat patients differently. And the, it the, just I think it's a beautiful assembly of what you've put together in a platform that can integrate a workflow that's, that treats all patients the same. And, and the results uh, truly prove out in the model. And I wanted to ask you about the recent results that you've had in the Medicare shared savings program. I mean, this was just a recent announcement, but, you know, as our listeners know, and, you know, MSSP has been around for, for, you know, 10 plus years. It's it's the bedrock of the value-based care movement. It serves 11 million patients across 525,000 providers. And recently the MSSP 2021 performance results came out and Privia Health Group's ACOs once again came out as one of the highest performing in the country. I mean, previous ACOs, which are collectively known as the Previa Quality Network, achieved shared savings of $99.9 million in the MSSP, caring for more than 112,000 Medicare beneficiaries uh, last year. And that outstanding result, it came in a very difficult performance year. I mean, these, this is a year where the providers were navigating care options for patients during the immense challenges of the pandemic. And outside of the sheer magnitude of the shared savings achieved, the Privia Quality Network delivered annual average expenditures that were 15% lower than the median MSSP ACO, 24% lower than fee-for-service Medicare. It also had a weighted average emergency room utilization that was 22% lower than ACOs on the median and 28% lower than FFS Medicare. You know, it had a weighted average outpatient facility spend 25% lower than other ACOs, uh, 35% lower than fee-for-service Medicare. It accomplished weighted inpatient facility uh, spend that was 22% lower, 28% lower than total FFS Medicare. Quality scores were 93%. I could go on and on, but the Results were outstanding, and I wanted to see if you could speak to the overall success of the Privia Quality Network and the Medicare Shared Savings Program, and what makes it one of the top-performing ACOs in the country. And then also with total shared savings now, since Privia Health has been in the program for about seven years and savings of upwards of $380 million, you know, how is the MSSP supporting Privia Health in its overall value-based care strategy by creating a flywheel to achieve aggregate shared savings across all your, your value-based contracting portfolio with government programs and commercial payers. I'd love to hear about that as well in, in, your, uh, in your value journey. Yeah, it's interesting. The MS, they, you know, CMS of late is, you know, they've come out and said, hey, we're going to 
you know, some things weren't working, you know, not all, not every, you know, kind of value-based pair program works within CMS or a payer. And I think the, the latest administration has been pretty open. It's like, hey, we're going to cut back on the stuff that at least in our eyes is not working and we're really going to kind of double down on the things that are. They've been very open about, you know, MSSP being, you know, like you said, it's been around for seven plus years now. And they, it's, I think if you really kind of, kind of put it in, if you compare it to Medicare Advantage, not in a sense that they're, because they're very different programs. One's a privatization of which we've got over a hundred thousand Medicare Advantage lives within our practices. And, but it's, you know, these are Medicare beneficiaries, but every, I think the key is understanding the program We've been in it for years. We've done very well. Each year, our providers have. And, and I think NCMS is coming forward and said, you know, this is a program that works. And, and they're kind of, the, I think government programs tend to, you know, they're never going to get the, as a provider, as a, you know, non-clinician administrative, you know, person that's been in government programs, you know, run organizations that are focused on them for decades, they're never going to move at the pace that you want them to. But these are huge programs that are taking care of, you know, arguably, let's, let's say, you know, uh, you know, kind of people, obviously, they're well deserving, and, and especially on the, on the Medicare side and otherwise, but, and they just, they, have, they kind of have to continue to improve that program. Not everything we're going to, as a, from an administrative perspective, are we going to like or going to even, I would say, agree with. But in kind of when you look back up and look at the program, they continue to make these programs better. I mean, I was in Medicare Advantage back when it was called Medicare Risk. And when you, when you got into the program, you literally, this is going to show my age, but you submitted your application on a Lotus spreadsheet, if you can even imagine that. But that, but that program has gone from Medicare risk to the Medicare cost plus program back in the early 2000s to what we know it today is Medicare Advantage, you know, and it's going to continue to change. And, and it's, the, and it's, you know, so MSSP is a, a program that we think highly of, we think it's a great program and others are, are joining. You mentioned the, you know, the number of providers are now in the number of beneficiaries that are in the program and the providers are participating and I think it just shows that, um, you know, providers, you know, appreciate the program, you know, that we, we take some of the, you know, most of our ACO lives are in what we call enhanced. So where you're taking the most risk you can possibly take in the program, but we don't do that out of the gate. Within our medical groups, especially when we've just kind of would be new to us and we're forming, we're always the model, like as I described it earlier, we're always adding providers to that medical group, you really have to kind of understand where each provider is. And then again, where that medical group as a whole is in this continuum to, to take on more risk and kind of be successful managing that risk. And the MSSP program allows you to kind of start what they call A and they kind of have an alphabet from A to, to E as people know it. And then, and you work your way up with, you know, kind of more risk and Kind of, and as well as um, more upside as you kind of work your way up. And most of, like we said, most of our, we added, I think uh, three this year that are kind of lower level and, and then our, our more mature ones are in enhanced where we're taking 70% of that plus of that downside. I mean, of the of getting upside for those savings. So I think it aligns providers well. It allows them to move it, you know, their pace. And it, and, it, and it also it should kind of force you to kind of move upstream. There's some of that's in motion today to change. But 
it, it just as providers are you know kind of work with somebody like Privia Health to get them ready to you know they got to have escrows and they have to be ready to take on risk. They have to have what you know what we just talked about technology. These professionals and actuaries and data scientists that understand the data, all these things that physicians were never trained to do. And if you can get that off of them, what we've we've proven out, and you know, obviously fortunate, hopefully to continue to do so. Whether it's MSSP, Medicare Advantage, commercial risk, structure those things where the where it's a, you're kind of aligned with the payer. And you'll think about in that model of MSSP, CMS still has risk in that as a payer. And then in the enhanced, we've got downside risk with a lot of upside. So you're aligning where the payer has risk, the, the physician entity has risk, and then we in turn share that upside and downside with our doctors. And our doctors always get the majority of that, you know, kind of we split that 60-40, and then it's up and down. We think it's important to align downside just like it is upside. And that's just something through doing this for decades. It's just where you can align things up and down with every stakeholder. We think it's a more sustainable model. And I think that's what CMS is, is kind of working their way you know, kind of through. And we do, the, we do that same model within our MA contracts. But um, like you said, regardless of the metric, ER, quality, you know, readmissions, all those things, We've, we've performed exceptionally well, our physicians have, and those are the things that drive the outcomes and, and drive the surpluses that in turn our physicians, um, you know, kind of kind of get access to. And it, it gets back to, again, aligning those incentives and having the tools to, to do well. And, and we haven't touched on governance, but I think um, we break, these are really large groups. I mean, some of our, like our most mature groups, over 1200 providers and covers two states in the District of Columbia. So you're kind of thinking, wow, how do you manage something that large in one medical group, one tax ID, but you've got to have a governance model that there's a you know, group of physicians that run the group and then we break it down into regions and they have a business person that's you know side by side attached to them. It's a it's kind of a dyad model. And then we break it down into pods. Kind of think about it as neighborhood level where that group of physicians with an administrator and a pod leader that's a doctor are looking at their data and reinforcing then those things that happen and should happen in at the point of care using that workflow. What levers do they need to you know, kind of, you know, get after like annual wellness visits and quality measures and all that's getting reported and physicians are competitive and they want to do well, but, uh, and then in turn, that's, it's reinforced then by workflow. So governance is absolutely critical. Like I said, with, you know, with, with having that technology and aligned incentives. And again, it's, you know, these are, these are, you know, it's a primary care model, but at the same time, these are large medical groups that have, that are, you know, specialties attached to them at the same time. And to like today, we have over 51 different specialties. It's, it's not just, only primary care you have to have attribution but you also have to be have a you know kind of work in hand in hand with your specialist in order to you know to kind of make sure that your patients have access to quality specialists and you can get them in quick and you can you know you're sharing data because you know they're on the same tech stack and all those things i think are making a huge difference in some of the metrics that you were talking about sean it's it's completely apparent that the profitable operating model for privia it's really underpinned by a long-term sticky relationship with its provider clients. 
And Privia providers have high satisfaction with the platform. Your provider NPS is 54, which is 19 points higher than the average provider score. In addition, you've had 95% average provider retention over the past four years. And so very impressive. And what I find most remarkable is that your physician customers are your biggest referral source for potential new customers. And that's demonstrated by the continued same store growth addition of providers in existing markets, as well as growth in new markets. And the patients that your providers serve are generally happier as well. I mean, you've got a net patient satisfaction score of 85. And as a result of these relationships and a high level of patient satisfaction, Privia Health is profitable and free cash flow positive with improving unit economics and margins. This is truly an outstanding example of the power of strong physician relationships and a patient-centered care delivery model that's focused on consumerism and delivering business success and value-based care. For those out there in industry who are leery of value-based payment, they might see it as a business killer. What do you tell them? Can you provide guidance for healthcare business leaders who are still sitting on the sidelines in the value movement for fear that the transition is going to cripple their business model? And for those out there actively pursuing a value strategy, what can they learn about the power of relationships from Privia Health's value journey? Value-based care has been around a long time. I mean, if you think just, just that history I rattled off, Medicare Advantage gets back into the, gosh, in the early 90s you know, or, or earlier. And I think it's, you know, CMS has come out and said every Medicare beneficiary is going to have a, is going to be in a value-based care platform by 2030. And that is, they, 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 they continue to say it regardless of the administration, if, regardless of if you're in a multi-specialty group, large primary care, that is a big block of, of, of your patients, even with a health system. And we've got health system clients that are, it's probably kind of half of our pipeline today, which is really interesting and we've just seen that growing over the last couple of years but you know it's we attract a certain type of doctor and client when i mean a health system i call them a client because the doctors in those health systems are our customers as you mentioned and it's here to stay it is growing more rapidly than it ever has before but what i would say is if you're considering something is you know, do you want a, a solution and work with a partner that really kind of thinks about, understands, you know, physicians, knows physicians, understands the different dynamics and you from, you know, what a successful, what it takes to have a successful practice, what it takes to understand insurance risk, because, you know, you, and, you know it's, it, and we've a lot of the leadership at Privia and otherwise have worked at some of the largest health plans in the country and, and helped build those. And then last but not least, there's a whole that, like we've talked a lot about that consumer friendly doctor focused technology that's focused on, you know, ours is by no means perfect, but you know, we have a group of physicians that, that actually work very closely through our physician, National Physician Advisory Committee, there's a subset of those that are focused on technology. What works within the practice? What should be working within each specialty for the technology component? But in it, and then it should serve all patients. It shouldn't serve just Medicare Advantage or just commercial. It really, because like, like I said, your providers don't like to practice a bunch of different ways. And the key is how do you take that administrative burden off of them? And do you want to grow? I mean, the future of that, that you know, if you're going to be successful in value-based care, there, it is, there is an actuarial component to it. 
And do you want to be in a group that will allow you to have autonomy with your running your your practice, the, the things you like to do within that practice, but kind of remove some of this administrative things off of them and allow them to see, you know, spend more time with their patients or see more patients. And then at the same time, focused on the kind of the well-being of that provider and be part of a group that is going to be very relevant in your market. And typically that market to preview is a state or a multi-state with or a region within a very large state. So these groups are very large. And then we have our, our relationships with our payers are not antagonistic. They Payers are seeking us out, especially ones we work with nationally and said, can you come and help us in this state? We've got providers that are that are not performing well and it's just they just don't have the support to do so. Would you come and help us organize them and over time build a previous medical group within the state? And, and the, the most one of the, the, the most interesting metrics you stated there, and when I got the previous five years ago, I said, well, no, we're doing something right when our customer, the provider, is our biggest source of new providers coming on to, you know, joining the platform and being part of, the, of our medical groups. And, and it's just through time, I think going public has helped. We're much more visible. Obviously, we have capital and we've been very, very successful in the public world. I think we perform today like the top 2% of, you know, kind of stocks that are out there, which is, you know, it's mind boggling, but it's a, but being public is, you know, it's, it, it is what it is, but it's the nice thing about it, it's made us visible. Um, we're building, you know, a company that's going to last for decades. And I think a company that, you know, physicians and, and health systems that really want to be forward leaning with their, with their physicians and their community physicians is, are looking to, to help solve the, the issues they're faced with in their state. Well, Sean, we've talked about the Privia Health platform at length and how it's enabling your providers to succeed in value-based care. I'm really interested in how the platform is also able to leverage success and fee-for-service as well, which leads to a greater attraction of providers to join the model. I mean, in the value community, we often talk about FFS as an anathema to the broader movement to patient-centered accountable care. However, Previa Health is using fee-for-service as a bridge to success. I mean, your practices are realizing more than 90% practice collections predictability, has a diversified revenue mix, as we've talked about. Under FFS arrangements, your medical groups are collecting fees directly from commercial payers as services are furnished to patients. These arrangements account for about 90% of the overall practice collections, value-based care is accounting for the remainder, and that's growing. You know, but uh, overall, the previous health practices, I mean, they're generating more than $1.3 billion in collections annually. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, we've had on our podcast some of like the high-touch primary care, pure play, full-risk capitated groups like Oak Street and ChinMed. And they're all in 100% value-based contract portfolio. And I'm really interested in the dynamic that you have with your practices as you're guiding them to success and in, in value-based care. I mean, it is a journey. You know, we hear from the experts out there in the industry about the tipping points that, that need to be had in a contract portfolio as your revenue is getting more and more uh, concentrated in population-based payment. I mean, we've heard some say that, you know, it takes like 70% or, or more of your revenue to be at risk for the economics to work and for the culture to set in where your 
completely managing total cost of care and you're getting the success, but you're demonstrating success with your practices where they still haven't reached the majority level of revenue uh, mix in their in their portfolio I mean, because of the platform, because they're treating patients the same. I mean, the, it's the, it's it's a great story and the results are outstanding. And the premise, you know, as I was saying, it runs contrary to what we're hearing from others about you can only be successful if you go all in, you know, instead of balancing the two canoes, you go into just, just the value canoe. So I wanted to see if you could speak to how Privy Health approaches the dichotomy between fee-for-service and value-based payment. I mean, how are your physicians able to succeed in value while also playing the necessary game of fee-for-service? And then what is the strategy for Privy Health to transition its clients out of fee-for-service dependence in the years to come? Let's face it. Um, it's, you know, we've been talking about value-based care for three decades or more. And um, it's, it's not moved at the pace we wanted, but it's moving, you know, it's, it's kind of a flywheel. It, it gains momentum, I would even say each and every year. And it, it's kind of, it, it's moving faster today than it was three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And some of that is because of the largest payer in the country, Medicare is, is focused on it. And Medicare tends to I wouldn't say that was always the case, but at the same time, with that largest payer, the, com the, the commercial payers then, when I don't mean it in a commercial sense of a product, but the commercial payers that we all know, they tend to kind of follow suit. So it's fee for, but fee for service is, the, is still the primary mode of reimbursement. You have to be able to, I mentioned those foundational services early, so rev cycle websites and you know that allow and you know kind of communication portals and all those things that allow that consumer experience that the patient is desiring all that those are very foundational and things that you know some practices are better at than others but most this is you know it's this is not what they're you know went to medical school to do regardless of how big the practice is any it's it's just um it's complex at, 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 in its kind of easiest sense so fee-for-service still remains the the primary payment for almost all of commercial very few commercial which is the largest kind of sector out there the, the mssp program is fee-for-service with value-based threads running all through it and then ma is still which most which is interesting most people don't realize it's still almost all fee-for-service and, and so you, you better be really good at these foundational things like seeing the giving access. Access is absolutely critical. And regardless, you know, patients expect it. They want it to be convenient. And they and if you want to do well in value based care, you mentioned some of those models, you have to have great access. It's a key of getting your patient in. And then however you're paid, you better be well at collecting that, reconciling it and all the things that go on today. Fever services for lack of a better word, it's kind of still the most dominant reimbursement structure. Some payers cannot even do capitation, which is interesting enough. And even some that do in one region, most payers, I've, I've been in some of the big ones um, in my career, they may run one claim system in one region, they run another one in another one, and they just can't do capitation in some, in some markets. So you have to be able to be flexible. Most physicians, you know, they, they have a, a complete mix, these care centers do, of patients, which is, you mentioned diversity. And, and diversity is good, but you've never been able to manage through that, do the foundational things well, and then have a mindset as the way I'm going to be successful in the next, 
you know, five, 10, 20 years is in these value-based arrangements. You know, starting with upside, getting momentum, understanding when I should take on more risk and how that should be structured in order that I could do it well and have all the incentive lines alignment from payer to all the different organizations that are partnering with the, with the physician group. So kind of that's the, the, the generic structure. I think the, um, it's a V you have to have discipline. If, um, you know, if you're going to take risk out of the gate, you, you, most of these organizations don't do well and you have to have a structure that's capital efficient in order that one day the organization can actually produce free cash. And you talked some of that earlier and be profitable. We're very proud of both and, and kind of fund your way through your journey to be a you know, decade, two decade, three decade old company. You can't just be you know, out there funding it through you know, cash raises and, and, and diluting shareholders and all those things that tend to go on. So, and I think your, your, your clients and your customers want you to be a successful company. They, they wanna know when they join and they, they go through kind of the, for lack of word, the pains of changing, they wanna know you're gonna be around and they wanna know if, if it's a model with, if you, know, if, if you do well, they do well. And that's, that's the philosophy that we actually, um, obviously we think what is gonna hold and along with the alignment within all parties. But I think um, you, you've seen the success that we've had. You're, we're, we're growing, you know, kind of what I think, you know, kind of very nicely, very rapidly. And we're, you know, our goal is to, you know, kind of be in the, the remainder of the states. I think having this approach around fee-for-service allows a company like Privia Health to land in a state like Montana, where there is not a lot of Medicare Advantage capitation, and there's, there's none, actually. Get there, use some of these other types of arrangements, get, you know, kind of changing them from just pure fee-for-service to upside, and then work towards, and then working very closely with those payers to take on more risk as a group, way ahead of the market, than when it should have been without you, than it would, have, it would have been without you being there. And I just, the other kind of misnomer on most of those um, other kind of models that you mentioned, it's even in value, even in the, more, the most capitated models, which I ran one for 15 years, capitating IPAs and them taking risk, the bulk of the payments, 80 to 85% of those are still paid out in fee for service to the, to the other providers. So it's even in its, even in its sense in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, there's going to be a lot of fee for service. And there's some services that should never have to be at risk. And we all know, I mean, there's certain very acute type settings and trauma and all these different things. They're never going to be, none of this stuff's ever going to be capitated and it's never should be at risk. And but um, the commercial world, you're going to see more risk in, gay, in the commercial, but that is a market where you really need to understand benefit design and how you should take on risk. And if it's going to be in corridors and what kind of, you know, what, you know, how those benefits change from year to year, and what type of um, employers are in it. So it gets pretty much, much more complex than the government business, but fee-for-service is a lot of, you know, you know, from health systems to physician practices, it's a big part of what they, how they're paid today. And you have to, but you have a mindset to change that over time in a way that the providers are helping move that model versus the payer just thrusting it upon you. Sean, I want to circle back and talk more about the physicians. It's, it's a topic that we've touched on a few times, and I think it's just so critical to this 
conversation. And when you think about the paradigm of fee-for-service that currently dominates our industry, independent primary care physicians are extremely cash-strapped and struggling to remain financially solvent. You know, PCPs are like on a hamster wheel, essentially, in the current model. They're, they're compelled to run faster and faster by cranking through more and more transactional E&M encounters just to generate enough revenue to keep the lights on. And as the hassles have gotten worse, many primary care physicians are jumping ship. They're selling their practices to larger enterprises like hospitals and PE-backed physician aggregators. We see data from AMA now that shows that only 32% of primary care physicians work in a private practice outside of corporatized care delivery business models. What I love about the vision for Privia Health is that it unleashes the untapped healing reservoir of massively powerful independent primary care through the single TIN medical group strategy and drives primary care in each local market. Privia Health seems to have a fairly flexible model in your growth playbook, allowing it the opportunity to acquire minority or majority ownership of provider groups in existing and new markets. You also may open de novo, wholly or partially owned sites of care focused on Medicare Advantage or direct contracting and fully capitated contracts in existing and new markets. Uh, can you speak more to how Privia Health approaches acquisitions and investments in full service care models? And, and tell us a little more about your single tin strategy to support physician autonomy and independence, unlike other wholly owned models out there that just employ physicians. Yeah, it's... Um... And I'll, I'll start with a little bit of a, I think the history will help of how our groups have come together. We don't actually, we never employ the, the provider, you know, we, or we have it to date, you never say never, but um, we, we don't employ the provider. We think that's kind of one of those alignment vehicles. We want them to, you know, the providers that have, the, that community provider that's chosen to hang their shingle and partner with, you know, four of their partners or 399 of their partners, the um, we want to support that group. We want them to remain independent. We want them to be wildly successful by bringing all these tools and talent and technology that we've talked about for them. So we originally started almost all about community docs, and the um, and we, you know we started in Virginia, literally with four internists in rest of Virginia, and that group is still with us today, and and they've been wildly successful, and they that so they they have their autonomy within that group, and then. Around that group, we've brought you know, 1,300 other providers over two states in D.C. to form these really relevant medical group. And it continues to, to grow, same store. So think about adding additional providers to those downstream practices and bringing new providers into the overall medical group. And then as well as growing the level of risk that they take on. So it's got multiple facets of growth in a group. We you know, kind of go to Georgia, which is one of, our, one of our more mature groups now. It was 15 family practitioners, internists that were within a health system. They wanted to go back independent. They'd been with the health system, I think, 10 years or so. And we helped them kind of establish that group. And now that group's you know, moving towards 500 providers statewide. Texas, is, we started with an OB group, interesting enough. And we, we see women's health as, as primary care also. And that OB group had the, the wherewithal to think, hey, I, as, the, as healthcare changes, I want to grow a primary care group around me. So this is a group of 40 plus OB in Houston. And now that group is close to 300 variations of primary care, some specialties involved. Move on to the North Texas and the Dallas market it was a multi-specialty group. 
with heavy on specialty and they wanted to grow primary care. And that's, that group's, you know, 300 plus. And then the kind of story goes on in Florida, we did with a health system that was, you know, it was a, had for multiple reasons. They had a big a group of 400 employed and they wanted to grow with the community physicians. So that group has grown to between five and 600. And it's so in, in California, 42 different specialties, wants to grow primary care. Montana, we did with surgery partners. So it's just, what, what I'm telling you is very flexible, but the, the tendons are single tax ID, move towards value-based care over our disciplined way, have diverse income streams, and really be focused on kind of that, that the patient experience and the well-being of the provider, moving towards risk in a very disciplined way. And when you take on risk, you should be rewarded for that if you perform well. So that's, and so we tend to attract then, you know, with that, you know, kind of with that philosophy and that experience, you tend to attract providers that have that same philosophy. So it's, a, it's almost a self-selecting process, uh, you know, of who joins Privio. Well, Sean, as we wrap up our conversation today, I thought we could talk about what's next for Privia Health. I mean, you're competing in a highly fragmented and competitive U.S. healthcare industry. I mean, Privia faces competition in each geographic market from a variety of community-based healthcare provider organizations that include large physician practices, IPAs, hospitals and health systems, physician hospital organizations, as well as emerging companies that are acquiring and rolling up specialty physician practices. And despite the competition, I mean, there's tremendous opportunity to capture white space in existing markets and enter multiple new markets over the next decade. And a recent example of growth for Privia Health that was just in the news was the recent strategic partnership that was announced to launch a a medical group for independent providers throughout the state of Ohio. And I'm sure there are many more growth announcements to come in the near future. You know, can you provide our listeners with a, a backdrop of your growth strategy and how it will pr propel the company to new heights in the future? And, and how will this growth in turn serve as an accelerant to value-based care in our country? Yeah, I, I touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, there's, it's kind of multiple folds. So Think about, you know, we talk about same store growth and, and new market growth and the, the new market growth is easy. It, that's the, our partnership with Ohio Health, where we're building a, that was recently announced, we're, we're building a previous medical group across the state of Ohio that will be for community physicians. And, it, we in part, and we'll, we're doing that in partnership with Ohio Health, but these doctors will remain autonomous, not employed, have all the tools that we've talked about on the podcast today. And, you know, they have that autonomy and that independence, but it's kind of a best of both worlds. Then on the same store growth side, think about it as, you know, we find that anchor, you know, that I mentioned, you know, kind of how our markets had developed. And then we have a really a very commercially oriented sales force that lands on the ground. They work there, you know, in that market and, and they with that group and we parse all the data out to understand what, where all those physicians and practice and care centers are. And then we literally start meeting with them. It's very data-driven, you know, kind of from a point of where are you today? How's your practice performing? Capturing that data, putting it through our model, and then understanding what the benefits, if they were to join the group, would be to that group. And then, so that's that bringing new practices onto the medical group. And then with each practice that comes on, we do a, we, we do an analysis and 
kind of where they are. And some groups are want to grow their capacity, and they can, they have the they have the ability to do so. And then we we have we internally recruit provide different types of providers, nurse practitioners, physicians, and add to those groups. So and then. And then in turn, as you, the, you know, the, the medical group is maturing, each one of these practices are maturing, we're converting some of those fee-for-service arrangements where we know those patients, we understand kind of where they are in the value-based care spectrum, and we're taking on additional levels of risk, which would reward them. So then we're adding things like ancillaries that are value-based care driven. You know, we've got clinical research that is a, a subcomponent of our physicians really um, appreciate and enjoy. We, you know, we did, you know, we participated in all the COVID vaccines from adult to pediatrics. And there's a, there's a subset of, of uh, care centers that absolutely are, that do very well with that. Or, and it's, it's interesting because it was ones that wanted to do it that had never been able to do it. So we try to have these, you know, the, the traditional ancillaries as well as things like clinical research, and then just the, the whole thing, you know, kind of value-based care movement that brings new revenue streams to the practices in a disciplined way. And then, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, some of this is, it's a, removing that burden and bringing new financial mechanisms to the group that are structured properly. That in term, again, if they, if they perform well, they do very well financially, which kind of drives their business. And at the same time that, you know, we really see doctors as our customer and that autonomy and really focused on, you know, kind of our goal is to, you know, spend more time with the patients, more face time, grow the practice in the way that fits that care center and, you know, kind of move the market towards value-based care and be a part of that versus being a victim of that. Well, Sean, thanks so much for sharing the great value journey that Previa Health is experiencing at the moment. I mean, your leadership is has really proven to demonstrate outstanding results for your physician clients and improving outcomes and patient experience uh, for those that are being served. And, you know, just for those uh, listeners out there that are uh, that, that want to learn more about Previa Health, how, how could they find out more about the company? Uh, I'd love to maybe uh, get a, a brief comment for people to find, engage and find out more. And, and also, uh, if you have any parting thoughts of inspiration for our listeners out there that are going through their respective journey in value-based care, that would be greatly appreciated as well. I think, you know, I just have a, a website that covers, you know, kind of hopefully most of the questions, PreviaHealth.com. You know, just feel free to go there. You can always reach out to me, you know, Sean.Morris at PreviewHealth.com. And I'll, um, you know, I obviously, I don't know all the answers, but I'll, we'll, we'll get you in touch with folks and love to spend some time with them if they're, if they're kind of considering a change. And, but, you know, I'd say, you know, if you're really kind of, if you're doing some due diligence, you're starting a strategy process or you're, you know, five doctors out there are just like, what is next? And I want to have more relevance and or you're, you know, or you're a health system with, you know, any number from 100 employed to 2000 employed. And you've, you've gone through a strategy that said, hey, I want to have a different relationship with my community doctors. I need my employed group to perform better. And I don't, I'm, I'm, you know, we're subsidized to the tune of whatever. And I just need a strategy and a physician alignment strategy with my CIN that really engages my doctors to do well in value-based care because I'm forward-leaning and I want to be part of the value-based care movement go, you know, going forward. I'd say reach out where, you know, we don't, we don't do consulting. We don't do all that stuff. We obviously work with some that can help, but we're, we'll spend some time with you. And I think you'll find that, um, 
you know, the, 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 the model intriguing and hopefully it's uh, something that you'll be, that they'd be interested in. Well, thank you, Sean, for that. And I greatly appreciate you joining us uh, this week and the race to value podcast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the invite. Thank you, Sean. Awesome conversation. You guys are doing great work. It's just so inspiring to listen to.